You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the writer and director of Beast, Michael Pierce. I think I need to get home. Please don't do that. everyone i am being joined right now by the writer and director of the indie breakout film of the year it is called beast it played over at the toronto international film festival the sundance film festival and it is currently making the rounds where it will soon be released in the u.s on may 11th michael pierce hello how are you today sir good i'm sunning myself by a canal in london that sounds very very nice is the weather over there doing okay for you yeah, it's always this good, so I'm making the most of it and doing this outside, working on the town. Well, your film Beast is based in uh, a part of the UK that not many films tend to actually explore. It's based on the um, island known as Jersey, and my question is, because since you're the screenwriter of this film, what ultimately was the inspiration for the story? What made you want to tell this particular story with this setting and these characters? Well, I'm from Jersey, so I grew up on the island, and I know it very well. And I really like the idea of setting my first film there. And I was exploring a few yeah, different stories. And I remembered this, there was a particular true crime case. There was a guy called the Beast of Jersey who committed a lot of really awful crimes in the 1960s. And he got away with it for sort of 10 years. And he was eventually caught, and he spent the rest of his life in prison. But even when I was growing up in Jersey in the 80s, he was still a kind of specter that haunted the island. And um, anyway, it was actually when I found out about that story, I remember being a kid, and it was like a kind of loss of innocence moment. It was like 
the moment when you realize that monsters do exist. They're not just in your fairy tale books. They're real people. And they could even, they could be your next door neighbor. They could even exist on a quaint, scenic, idyllic little island like Jersey. So it was a real, it was, it played quite a big part in my sort of childhood imagination. And um, when I remember that story when I came out of film school and I did a bit of research into it and I found out that he had a wife that never knew and he lived this kind of parallel existence and he was a member of the community and he had children and I just found that very chilling and I just thought that maybe this could be an interesting angle to look at to research and then develop a story that looked at a woman that a woman that was involved with a man that might be a monster you know and that, that felt quite big and epic and it was a way to not go over the familiar ground you know not to, for it to be a police procedural not for it to be a macabre study of a psychopath and so I kind of wrote this tried to write a story that functioned more as a, a love story that blossomed within a like very nightmarish scenario. And then as that kind of developed, I became really interested in the lead character. And I, I strongly felt that she can't just be a unique conduit into a familiar story. She has to be, it has to be a character piece. She's got to be what we're really fascinated by. It's not so much the mystery of is this man guilty or not? It is what's driving this woman? What happened in her background? Is she some kind of beast? And that was the sort of evolution. So it was, it was from a, yeah, my, going back to Jersey and being able to explore my own childhood impressions and also just become fascinated with the characters that I'd created. And it was a combination of, yeah, some, some personal stuff. And then, yeah, some characters that just began to have a life of their own. Well, I will say that I think you succeeded because I know for myself while watching the film, I was very fascinated by the lead character, Mole, played by Jesse Buckley in this film. And also, too, the central question, the whole is he or isn't he angle that you told the story from. So you did achieve it on both fronts as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. In terms of Jesse Buckley and Johnny Flynn, um, can you talk to me a bit about finding the right actor's to play these two roles because they're both very distinct yet they both have to work together in order to sell the romance and also to leave that little bit of intrigue into those performances so that we ourselves can engage with them throughout the story. How did you find the right actors for these roles and was there a bit of a rehearsal period before you guys started shooting or was there any kind of improvisation? Tell us about your experience working with the actors. So I worked with a really great casting director called Julie Harkin, and she had cast Jesse in a big BBC adaptation uh, of War and Peace. And Jesse had a kind of, uh, it wasn't one of the lead parts, but it was quite significant sort of supporting role. And she, she kind of stole the show. Everyone sort of was raving about her. Um, but that, that uh, you know, she was kind of relatively new to, to acting. And uh, we were seeing lots of actors in the audition process and Jesse kind of just blew us away. She came in like two or three times and each time she was just such a force of nature. You know, she was very, she didn't need any warming up. And my job as a director is often to make it a, to some degree, a bit difficult for the actor in the audition room. Of course, I'm going to be really polite and want people to feel as comfortable as possible, but I'm going to, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to try out the, the most difficult scenes, you know, because if they can do that, then uh, the rest is going to be a piece of cake. And it's really a performance-driven film. And I really needed to make sure that we kind of, yeah, we'd really tested the waters on, on the really complex stuff. And Jessie kind of, she was just so committed and so 
brave and she just had this kind of wildness about her. There was this very raw kind of feral energy. Uh, and I really liked the idea of kind of putting her within the, within Mole's straitjacket, within the straitjacket of the character, this person that's suffocated and kind of gasping for emotional oxygen. I thought if we put Jesse, who's such a kind of grounded and fun and spirited person within that straitjacket, we will feel that tension. And then with, with Johnny, I actually, I couldn't quite see him in the role because I was, I was only familiar with a few, uh, few, like a few things he'd done, like Lovesick, and I knew him a bit as a musician. But my casting director got me a ticket to go and see him in uh, The Hangman, which is a Martin McDonough play. Mm-hmm. And in that, he plays a sociopath. And he's, uh, he's really, it's a captivating performance. And I was just so struck by how versatile he was. And then it dawned on me that I think the most interesting aspect of Pascal is that he's a shapeshifter. You know, he, he's, he's someone that can be really charming and charismatic and sometimes could seem very manipulative or villainous and at other times seems very vulnerable and wounded. And Johnny has the capacity to sort of modulate his performance to be all of those things. And it was, I realized just how important that was because the film doesn't really play around with like bits of evidence. It's not procedural. It's not like the character finds the bloody knife, you know, within the toolbox. It's really going to, it's, mm-hmm. it's more of an emotional thriller. It's how you feel about these characters. So, um, yeah, and then when they got together, we did a chemistry read, um, and they, you know, they got along great, and they became kind of like very close uh, within a few, you know, within a few days. They were like just hanging out with each other. They're both very sort of playful uh, people, and they, yeah, there was a lot. There was like a spark in the room, but I was so kind of taken by both of them. Even if they hated each other, I still would have cast them. It would have just made my job a lot more difficult on set. <laughs> um, and I would just have to figure out a way to, to conjure up, you know, this romantic, uh, this love story, and uh, you know, despite them not getting along. But they, they really did. And so that kind of, that aspect of it just sort of took care of itself. And um, in terms of rehearsal, we had like, I think four days, but um, which isn't much because I want to, I want to do rehearsals with quite a few of the lead actors. Um, but what we did do was uh, we had a big lead up time, quite a few months where I could speak to Jesse and Johnny, share films, share books. I wrote backstories for each of their characters. They would send me books that, you know, that had influenced them or films or documentaries and would have this lots of conversations about the different ways that we could ex- explore these characters. And it was like we were, tuning into each other's creative frequencies like we were just getting our bandwidth tuned in so that by the time we were on set we didn't need to have protracted conversations about you know uh, why a character was doing something because we'd already covered that and the set became a very creative space and we were more just like we were looking for extra nuances trying to discover another layer and so that was great it really taught me a lesson about how how much your pre-production time, just sort of engaging with actors, getting to know them, hanging out, discussing the script, discussing the part. It's, it's a really great way to sort of, yeah, uh, fill up your creative subconscious and um, share that process with the actor. That's that's all really really cool to, to hear. And um, if I do say so myself, uh, Jesse Buckley is going to be a huge star because I think her performance in this film is quite remarkable. So bravo to you for casting her in this. You definitely gave her a showcase role that uh, has definitely shown us her talents. Um, One other thing I do want to just comment on uh, before we go, because I know our time is limited. 
I noticed in a lot of independent uh, films, I noticed that there is a lot of hesitance, uh, hesitancy to move the camera. There seems to be quite a deal of stillness, um, usually a lack of sound or music. A lot of people like to go for a very realistic uh, look in terms of what our eyes see and what our ears hear. However, you, um, along with um, uh, Jim Williams, your composer, uh, Benjamin uh, Crockham, your cinematographer, y you guys really, really use the camera, employ sound uh, to create a great, dreadful mood. The music, I thought, was quite remarkable as well in setting the tone. Um, can you just tell us a bit about your process in utilizing those elements to tell the story of Beast? Yeah, I mean, we, the, the kind of general approach is that we wanted it to be a kind of hyper subjective experience as if we were watching situating the audience within the skin of the character. So it was going to be very sensory, very visceral, as opposed to being <clears throat> like, a yeah, like, let's say a more traditional art house perspective, which would be more austere and objective and neutral. And I love some of those movies, but I just I was telling a different story. And um, so we just tried to get inside, yeah, higher psychological space as much as possible. Mm. So where the, with the camera, when, we, when she's trapped within the family, it's very much, it's quite, it's either steady or it's on slow tracks and slow zooms. And we get that sense of oppression that she's being suffocated in this environment. When she's, when she's with Pascal and she's falling in love, it's all, it's much more, handheld it's a lot of it's set outdoors it's using natural light the editing is more impressionistic we break continuity time kind of conflates in places whereas when she's trapped the, the editing is more deliberate and we we had the same approach to sound design that it was going to be much more sort of uh, synthetic and ominous uh, and sometimes using quite um, like real sounds, the sound of, I don't know, a washing machine, but we'd, <laughs> we'd make it go much lower and then slow it down and just sort of have these very steady, synthetic uh, sounds, you know, that creating a sense of like constant anxiety in a way. And when she's with Pascal, it's, it's working with much more organic and textural and making that world much more alive. And with the, like the, in terms of the grade, we tried to push the vividness of this world you know we wanted this to so many so many procedural films about this subject could be quite yeah just muted in terms of how the story is told and a very neutral almost like it's told from the point of view of a detective and we wanted this to be like a fairy tale a dark twisted adult fairy tale so we wanted it to be to feel enchanting well like beauty and the beast <laughs> like beauty and the beast like badlands like wild at heart you know they were they were the films that were like operated on that sort of um as if they were you know fables or yeah exactly fairy tales or myths i want as opposed to like a grounded just a purely grounded realist drama because i felt like we'd just been saturated by that point by so many of them and with the music <clears throat> again we we just thought let's go for it let's not hold back let's make this score instead of it being genre or instead of it just being kind of clinical and modest uh it should sound as if it's it's being orchestrated from the inside the guts of the character it, i almost wanted it to like burst out of her skin this is a young woman that's kind of been trapped within very tight walls her whole life and she's in you know, these prisons, it's got to feel like something that's burst, very primal, burst into break free. 
and uh, almost like it was, you know, uh, like it's like when she screams. It's like at, at the church. It's like a moment when uh, animal nature is like truly allowed to sort of be unleashed, and we just kind of wanted all these strange and uh, very tense kind of string sounds to be bubbling you know, underneath the surface, you know, within the character's stomach. And that was like the strategy as opposed to, as opposed to being either too modest or too kind of generic and genre about it. So, yeah, they were our broader approaches. And it was just always the question was, how do we get the audience closer to the character? How do we go inside her skin? How do we see it from her emotional point of view? Well, that, that's all very fascinating, and I really appreciate you taking a moment to go into depth there in terms of the creative process behind Beast. Uh, Beast is playing on May 11th. Um, my final question for you, uh, Michael, is what's next? Uh, how much more uh, press do you have to do for this film, and uh, whatever projects do you have upcoming? Are you planning to shoot another film uh, in Jersey, or do you want to expand beyond that? Uh, well, I'm attached to two projects that have uh, both actually set in the States, one in New York and one uh, which is like another female-driven um, psychological thriller. Well, that would be very exciting. I'm from New York. Oh, well, I'm so keen to actually, I mean, there's, there's kind of similar themes in, in terms of it being, I suppose, another exploration into female anti-heroes, anti-heroines, and because uh, I just don't think, I've, I, you know, they're not, <laughs> we don't see enough of them on screen. We see lots of great anti-heroes but we don't see uh women that have that you know that sense of complexity or certainly not enough and then the and also i just want to explore a very different landscape you know i went to my home island which is very idyllic and beautiful and it was great to unleash my feelings about that uh about that island good and bad but now i want to go somewhere that's almost the opposite and you know new york is you couldn't get further away from jersey um so, yeah, very different landscape, but, but kind of a similar character trajectory to some degree. And then the other one is a, yeah, a kind of father-son crime drama set somewhere in the Midwest. But they're both, like, you know, mid, kind of midway through the development process. So I don't want to jinx them by saying too much now. That's fair, and that's totally understandable. <laughs> I thank you for uh, giving us the information that you have. I thank you for giving us this film because I think it does announce a lot of new voices to the independent film scene, your, your own included, and I highly urge everyone that's listening right now to check out Beast if it comes around to your area. It's releasing here in the U.S. on May 11th. Do so. Check it out. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate the time. Of course. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right. Best of luck to you. Cheers. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with the writer and director of Beast, Michael Pierce. This is a reminder that you can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Nothing less than five stars is ever acceptable. However, we will accept any and all feedback. Also, be sure to subscribe to our Patreon channel. At a minimum, for $1 a month, you can get exclusive podcast content from nextbestpicture.com. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, we will see you all next time.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.